David, choir, musicians, thank you. We appreciate your ministry to the Lord and allowing us to share in that. Appreciate the work that goes into your rehearsals on Wednesday. And uh, I know that you are already gearing up for Christmas music. And we look forward to that also. I don't know how we could ever arrange it. But uh, some Sunday morning, I wish all of you could see the faces of our young people, these, these that come across here going to Children's Church. It's incredible. Uh, one thing about children is you can always tell when they're happy or they're unhappy. And uh, uh, they're happy, they're joyful. Uh, young Michael was dancing his way through here this morning. Uh, I, maybe some morning we could have him go out the back and come around just so you could see them. It, it'd be a blessing to your soul, I assure you of that. And thank God for our children's church workers. Uh, that is not something that's taken for granted. Um, how would you like to be sitting back here waiting on 25 enthusiastic four-year-olds, or however the age might be. <laughs> so we thank God for them. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. <clears throat> Would you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Our Father, may the word of God be handled the way it ought to be handled. May it be allowed to speak its truth. And may the Spirit of God be our teacher. May the Lord Jesus Christ be honored and exalted as we look into his word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, I brought a series of messages on Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 15. That passage is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. My intent then, and I have done my best to follow through with it, is to talk about Jesus and praying for several weeks. And we worked our way through what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And then I moved on on the same subject to John 17, and I have brought several messages on what Jesus actually prayed. The disciples had the, shall we say, wisdom to say to the Lord, it's recorded in Luke 11, verse 1, and it comes before the, the Lord's Prayer. They asked, after hearing Jesus pray, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I credit them with a great deal of wisdom for asking that question. They'd heard Jesus pray. And I believe somehow in their hearts and minds and deep in their souls, they knew they needed to learn how to pray. They were disciples, yes, but they needed to learn how to pray. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I have put that heading over the remarks I have made on Matthew 6 and over John 17. Teach us to pray. And I hope that I learn more about how to pray, what to pray for, 
And I hope that you will do the same as we have looked through these. We come to the last message this morning in this series. And I have repeated the overview um, of John 17 in your outline this morning. Basically, the 17th chapter of John can be easily and readily understood if you think of three concentric circles. The the, the closest circle would be verses 1 through 5 of John 17. And if you have your Bible open, look at it with me. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Jesus prayed for himself in the first five verses. That's what this is about. Jesus' prayer uh, for himself. And the key word in these five verses is glorify. He wanted the Father to glorify the Son, that the Son might glorify the Father. And then Jesus prayed for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. Key word there is keep. Jesus prayed for the disciples, and he asked his Father to keep them. And that's the key word there. And then in the largest of the three concentric circles, verses 20 through 26, the key word is unity. And, and uh, Jesus spoke at some length about that. Uh, let me continue to review just a little bit here. Our Lord's earthly request has to do with unity. We will talk about his heavenly request and then a promise that he made in just a few moments. But his earthly request is found in John 17, 20 through 23. It was a prayer for unity. And recall, if you will, it was not organizational unity. Jesus never prayed for some great, huge organizational structure. Nor did Jesus pray for conformity. Jesus didn't expect every believer to be like, just like every other believer. We think the same things. We we use the same version of the Bible. We send our kids to the same schools. Um, he wasn't praying for conformity. He was praying for a unity that centers around the person and the work of Christ. It was a unity which can be attained in which people find there is diversity, but they get along with one another. And while there is diversity, there is no discord. I tried to illustrate this a couple of Sundays back with an ice cream cone that's turned upside down. If you think of that for just a moment, an ice cream cone turned upside down, Jesus is at the head. He's at the top. He's at the apex. And the believers are around the base of that cone. And as the believers move up and get closer to the head, they get closer to each other. Uh, That's how the unity is attained. It's not organizational. It's not conformity. It's unity that is attained around the person, the work of Christ. And as the saints get closer to the Lord, they get closer to each other. So there's nothing phony about it. There's nothing unreal about it. There's nothing put on about it. Getting closer to the Lord we get closer to one another. And that's the kind of unity that uh, our Lord was uh, 
praying for. It's the kind of unity, again, that is attainable and one that the saints need to remember that Jesus prayed for this. Jesus had a unity that was requested, but I got ahead of myself just a little bit. Let me back up, if I could, please. Jesus prayed for himself in verses 1 to 5. In verses, the next few verses down to verse 19, 6 through 19, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He had three requests for his disciples. He prayed, if you'll notice verse 11, 17, verse 11. He said, I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them in thy name. Um, which thou hast given me that they may be one even as we are one so he was praying that they would be kept Um, a request from Jesus to his heavenly father for their preservation there was a second thing that he prayed for them and that is found in verse 13 now I come to thee And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. I really believe that our Savior in heaven believes that a a downcast Christian, one who's downcast long term, I don't mean when, when difficult things come, But a Christian who's downcast, and that is their major outlook on life. They're just depressed about everything. And they've got a little black cloud that follows them around like this. I think our Lord, if if you'll allow me to put it this way, it's a very common way. I think our Lord would scratch his head over that. Look at what he's done for us. And he, he went so far as to pray for our joy, for the disciples' joy. That was his second request. Third request is down in verse 17. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So he prayed for the disciples' preservation, joy, and sanctification. He continues to pray. And I got ahead of myself just a little bit there when I spoke about the unity, but his first earthly request for the church was unity. He had prayed those other three things for the disciples. His first earthly request, as far as the way I've outlined things for this morning, is found in verse 20. His earthly request was unity. He had a second request, however. That's in verse 24. Father, I'm reading verse 24, I desire that they also whom thou hast given to me be with me where I am. You know, we have longed for heaven. We came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I take it from that day forward, we have longed and looked for heaven. We have hoped for heaven. And we have been assured that we will be there Because we belong to Christ. And one day we will be there. But that isn't what verse 24 is talking about. Verse 24 expresses our Lord's desire that we be with Him. 
And may I just simply say to you, that's beyond my comprehension. Jesus wants us, he wants me, he wants you to be with him. Now, I suppose one reason I have difficulty with that is because I know Ross Marion too well. The Savior of mankind, he who knew no sin, and Jesus says, I want them to be with me. That's more than just a hope for heaven. That's more than longing for heaven. That's more than being assured that we will be in heaven because we're in Christ. That's an expression of his desire that we be with him. Can you fathom that? I mean, look in the mirror in the morning, okay? And say those words, Jesus wants me to be with him. That's how I'm feeling right now. But that's what our text says, isn't it? He wants us to be with him. It's more than just seeing him. It's abiding with him continually. It's beholding his face constantly. This is being at home. You know the experience, don't you? Sure, all of us do. You know the experience of of taking a a long trip. Maybe you go to Europe. Maybe you take a a, a three-week cruise. Or maybe it's just a few days off. You know what it is to be away from home. And you know how you feel when you walk back in your house, don't you? You know how good that is. If you have to be away from home for a long time, you look forward to getting back home. Oh, If I could just get back to my bed. We were gone for a few days. Excuse me. The other week. Um, My wife said, man, I wish I'd brought my pillow along with me. Home. You know what that is? Wonderful. But may I say to you, our being at home from a trip, our being at home on this earth even though it's wonderful and even though we look forward to it and even though we love it, it's nothing to be compared with what's being said here. This is being at home. And nothing else comes close. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We are just sojourners. The Bible makes that clear. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, wrote the songwriter. The Bible says we are looking for a city which has a builder and foundations of God. Verse 24 of John 17 gives us the same definition as John chapter 14, verse 3. Turn back there with me, would you please? 14, 3. Uh, you probably don't need to. You've got this memorized. But look at John 14, verse 3 for just a moment. <clears throat> if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 17, 26 is not the first time Jesus has said, I want you to be with me. Heaven is where Jesus is. You know, I sometimes wonder... If it's possible that we focus our attention 
too exclusively on golden streets and pearly gates. It's conceivable that you could have golden streets and pearly gates and it not be heaven. That's quite conceivable. Heaven is where Jesus is. If you'll allow me another hymn that's in our hymnal. The bride has not her garment. Now think about this, ladies. You know what it is to have a wedding dress on, how beautiful it is. But when you come through the door back there and the groom is here, what are you looking at? Oh, my, look at this dress. Isn't this beautiful? Mm, I like this. You know, wish I could wear this more often. Or are you looking up here at this rascal that's standing here waiting on you? You're looking at the bridegroom. The bride is looking at the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. We are looking at the bridegroom. And the hymn writer goes on, The bride has not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, the hymn writer says, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Revelation chapter 5 expresses it. Uh, in, in marvelous terms. If you'll take your Bible and turn over there with me, please. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5. Let me just pick up verse 1 before we drop down to verse 6 because that gives us a bit of an explanation that we need. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now drop down to uh, verse 6. And we'll get a bit of the rest of the story. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came, this is the lamb, he came and took it out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Look at this. This is the Lamb. This is His glory. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And a number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Notice what they were saying, verse 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, blessing honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Yes, if we want to think about pearly gates and golden streets, fine. There's some marvelous descriptions uh, in, in the book of Revelation. But let's just remember, the bride eyes not her garment, not the crown, not anything else. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. He desires that we be with him. That overwhelms me. That just overwhelms me. Verse 24 also shows us the purpose back in John 17. 17, 24. Middle of the verse. That they may behold my glory. Which thou hast given me. To be with him. To behold his glory. I don't understand the word glory here in a technical sense at all. It seems to me to refer to the majesty and the splendor, all of which belongs to him. And every child of God, listen to me. Every child of God is going to stand in the very presence of God and see his glory. You remember back in the Old Testament, Moses in Exodus 33, he said, Lord, show me your glory. You remember what God said? You can't see my glory and live. But you and I will. You and I will. So far in verses 20 through 26, we've looked at our Lord's earthly request for his church. That's unity. We've looked at his heavenly request for his church. That is that we be with him and we come to his eternal vow or his eternal promise to his church in verses 25 and 26. 17, 25, John. <clears throat> o righteous Father, although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee, and these have known thee, that thou didst send me. And I have made thy name known to them, and will make it known, why? That the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. There will be a continuation. You know, <clears throat> have you ever met somebody, or have you been guilty of it? Thinking of heaven is just sitting back on a cloud, strumming a harp all day, every day. My dear friends, that isn't heaven. Look at verse 26 again. I have made thy name known to them and will make it known. There's a continuation going on here. Why is he going to do that? Well, let me back up. Uh, let me say right here before, before I go on. Remember from earlier in our study of the Gospel of John, name means more than just the name somebody's called by. Name is, stands for the whole person. And so there's going to be a continuation of our learning about our Lord and about the Heavenly Father in heaven. It's not going to be just sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. It'll be learning. I had a professor in seminary who said, Men, if you don't like to learn, you're not going to like heaven. And this is what he was talking about. A continual process of learning about Jesus and about the Father 
Why? Verse 26. That the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. What indescribable blessings await the child of God. Attended one funeral this past week. It seems one or maybe two more could be on the horizon. We grieve at the loss of a loved one. And it would be abnormal not to do so. We grieve. But we don't grieve for them. If we grieve for those who've gone before us, we are in, we are, we're, we're just sadly out of step with the word of God. To be in the presence of the Lord. To be learning about Him. And from what verse 26 says, it seems to me, it means even in heaven we're learning to love Him more. What indescribable blessings, I say again. Increasing revelation of God's name, His nature. We learn more about, more about His attributes. Leading to a deeper experience of His love. What's the basis for all of this? That Jesus would want us in heaven. That earlier in this chapter, on three occasions, verse 2, verse 6, and verse 9, if my memory serves me, is an indication that we are the Father's gift to the Son. I want to tell you, folks, uh, I've studied and preached on John 17 before, but it has never gotten hold of me like this. Do you know... You, as a child of God, are the Father's gift to the Son. Do you know that He wants you with Him in His presence? Dear friends, if this doesn't do something for your soul, check out your physician, will you? Please don't answer this verbally. Okay, Do I look like uh, the Father's gift to the Son? Boy, what a gift that is, huh? Thank you for not saying amen. (laughs) Do you know that you're wanted by the Savior with Him? What a blessing. It's beyond description. What's the basis for all this? Well, there are two aspects. Both of them are here in John 17. First of all, the Father gave us to the Son. That's the divine side of it. But then there is a human side too. For our Lord referred in verse 20 to those who believe on me through the word. And I believe those two sides must be kept in balance. Our salvation originates with God the Father. And it comes to be ours through the instrumentality of a divinely given faith. Which at the same time is a faith that is exercised by us. I don't know. I pondered over how in the world I wanted to conclude John 17, 
inadequate though it is. I want to raise a question. What can we do? One, after studying John 17, number one, we realize that Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. We realize that Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. Second, be faithful. Be faithful. Consider all that is ours because of Him. How can we do less than be faithful to Him? And third, be loving. The Father's love is to be in us. Be loving. Very seldom do I do what I'm going to do now. Two things. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to say to you, as kindly as I can, you don't know anybody that'd die for you. Oh, you may think you do. A mom, dad, or spouse, whatever. But you don't know for sure, beyond all doubt, that anybody else that you know would die for you. Jesus did. Second, do you know that the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Sin cannot enter heaven. And if I have sinned, and I have, somebody has to pay the debt for my sin. Jesus died for me and for you. He bids you to trust him. You've done that. You know, you will spend eternity somewhere. If the Bible's right, of course I believe it is, there aren't two places. Where are you going to spend eternity? You need to think about it. Don't put it off. The character in the book of Acts, almost thou persuadest me. But the hymn writer came along years later and says, almost is but to die. Jesus loves you, dear friend. If you don't get anything else out of anything that is said here this morning or sung or anyone says to you, remember this, Jesus loves you and died for you. And he wants you to trust him. You don't have to walk an aisle to trust Jesus as your Savior. You can do it right where you sit. If you want to share your faith with people that love you and are here, I'll meet you here. I'm going to ask that you do one more thing with me. Would you stand with me, please, right now? Everyone here, stand. David will sing in just a moment, but I want to do this before we sing. I'm going to ask you to say the words with me. I am one that the Father gave to his Son. I am one that the Father gave to his Son. Would you say that with me, please? I am one that the Father gave to the Son. Second, would you say with me? 
He wants me to be with Him. Together? He wants me to be with Him. And third, would you join hands? Don't necessarily have to go across the aisle, but we join. Would you join hands? If you're one that the Father gave to the Son, and you know He wants you to be with Him, thinking of those with whom you are holding hands, would you just say, I love you? That was pretty weak. (laughs) What in this world? I love you. I love you. One more time. God bless your heart. <laughs> David, let's sing, shall we? 277. 277. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. I would ask you one more thing. Tomorrow morning when you get up and go in there to look in the mirror, say those three things. It'll brighten your day. I am one that the Father gave to the Son, and He wants me to be with Him. Just don't look at yourself and say, I love you. We do too much. (laughs) You can say it about others. Let's sing, David. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us continue to rejoice and be glad in it. Tom Lowell is our deacon of the day. Tom, if you will come, please. You know... Come on, Tom. There wouldn't be anything wrong at all. In fact, I believe there'd be everything right about it. If before you exited that second set of doors out there this morning, you looked at somebody in the face and said, I love you, brother. Tom, we'll join you in a word of prayer. I came from a generation that did not say, I love you. Perhaps some of you did too, but I'm thankful that I belong to a generation now that can say, I love you. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the privilege we have to come to this sanctuary. More than the physical sanctuary, Lord, we thank you for the heavenly sanctuary where through the blood of Christ, through the veil that's been opened to us, we can enter the Holy of Holies. Thank you, Lord, for praying for us, your church, for praying, Lord, for our sanctification. And, Lord, that comes through our being sanctified through your word. And we've heard your word this morning. And your word is truth. Father, help us, not only today, but through the week, to bathe ourselves in your word that it might anoint us with your holiness 
so that we might in turn reflect that holiness in our lives and that through that you would draw others to Christ. Thank you, Lord. You love us and we sometimes wonder why. Allow us, Lord, to say to you this morning that we love you and help us, Lord, to be able to say to one another, I love you. Lord, thank you for this flower uh, that represents a new life that has been born to the Vansel family. Would you bless her as she grows? Would you bless her mom and dad as they love her and as, teach, as they teach her about Jesus Christ? We're reminded of our mission this week, the Lighthouse Ministries. We do pray for them, for Larry and Debbie Wilson, as they counsel and help both Christians and non-Christians. Lord, give them uh, the wisdom uh, to be able to help people who are struggling. For Christians who are struggling, and yes, we do, and for unbelievers, Lord, who don't have a personal relationship with you, may they, Lord, be equipped by you, by your Holy Spirit, to help. Now, thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for life itself. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.